Welcome to Life After CISO, where we'll talk about your next play as a successful technology executive and steps you could take now to prepare for the journey. Welcome back to the Life After CISO podcast and the CISO board director episode. In my first episode, I laid out a pie chart, if you will, of the portfolio life. So areas that are going to be available to a retiring cybersecurity or technology executive. We talked a little bit about consulting, advisory work, angel investing, and even entrepreneurship. But the one area that seemed to resonate the most with listeners was board directorship. And there's absolutely been an increasing number of headlines around adding cybersecurity expertise to the boardroom. So it's really no surprise. And while I'm sure that some of that's driven by the tech community, just looking to expand their opportunities, much of it is actually coming directly from regulators and potentially binding public company guidance. So here in the United States, for example, the Security and Exchange Commission released a lengthy proposal on March 9th, 2022, about public company cybersecurity disclosures. Now, this is something that they do regularly, and the latest release can in some ways be seen as a sequential update to communications that have been made over the past 10 plus years. But while previous communications out of the SEC really focused on interpreting and applying existing rules to cybersecurity, the latest proposal is really new rulemaking entirely. So it's important to pay close attention to it. And sure enough, significant material was devoted to emphasizing and expounding specifically on expectations and requirements of the board. So it's absolutely appropriate for technology and especially cybersecurity leaders to see opportunities in this area opening up and to start thinking about how you might want to groom your position now during your career to maximize your opportunities later. So let's dig in a bit about boards and being a director. So first, I thought I'd start out with a little bit of detail on the background that I'm speaking from on this topic. So when I started at Intercontinental Exchange over 20 years ago, we were a pretty small private company. Then we were backed by this conglomerate of strategic investors, pretty evenly split between the energy and investment banking sectors. So you think of British Petroleum or Duke Energy married up with the likes of Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. And I mention it because it means that even though we were really early and way before we actually went public in 2005, we were held to a very high standard and we had to put formal governance structures in place. And as a matter of fact, my very hiring as a director of information security in 2001 was just a testament of environment because what 40-person startup was doing that back then. So right from the onset, my mission had a large focus on governance. And on top of that, shortly after I began, we really pivoted both organically and via M&A into running regulated financial market infrastructure. And that didn't take long to amass the scale necessary to elevate into critical economic infrastructure across the world in multiple jurisdictions. So even before we bought the New York Stock Exchange, which happened later in 2013, providing core financial utilities in any major nation required this intense process of regulatory approval and designation and oversight. And in many cases, that brought a requirement for an independent subsidiary level board of directors, separate from and in addition to the parent company board of directors that we had as a public company. So when you put that all together, that means that the environment at ICE had many boards and over 100 independent directors around the world. In parallel to that, along the same timelines, you have the cybersecurity story that was playing out across the world. So just think for a moment about how headlines evolved across that same period of the last 20 plus years. And you'll know that means that I had over 100 independent directors getting peppered with cybersecurity news every day. 
Cyber quickly elevated in one of the top risks identified across public company risk and audit committees during that period. And that was even while competing with episodic events like Brexit or nowadays the pandemic. And so that certainly drove the incorporation of hard tactical cybersecurity metrics into a regular cadence delivered to the audit committee originally, and then after Dodd-Frank in 2008, the risk committee, and right into those agendas. But more broadly, it meant that all of the directors I mentioned began voicing individual pressure to get educated about cybersecurity. So with my role as the chief information security officer, the whole landscape that I just described drove me to consolidate briefings and get a lot of those directors together with our public company parent board in the same room for the first time across New York, London, or Singapore for these two-hour-long director education sessions on cybersecurity. And it's worth noting that normal management updates from the field to the board, whether it's a litigation update, or critical of financial risks, or operations, are going to be lucky to get 15 to 20 minutes each. And while cybersecurity updates to a risk or audit committee were lucky to get five minutes 20 years ago, they quickly grew to the point where they were getting that same or greater billing than any of the other areas I mentioned. But even so, in those committees, they're moving super fast through prepared material, and they're going to wrap up any of those topics, including cybersecurity, in well under a half hour and just once per quarter. And yet here I was asking for two hours from directors. And on top of that, it was optional. And yet the uptake and the participation was through the roof. While we rotated across locations and time zones around the world to accommodate all the directors, we still had several who would double or triple down and remotely attend sessions that weren't local. Now, talking to my peer chief information security officers at the time, I knew that I wasn't alone in this situation. So in addition to running the security program at ICE, until the end of 2021, I was the chairman of the board of FSISAC, so the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center, which organizes cybersecurity and operational practitioners and executives from all the major financial institutions in the world. So that's over 5,000 members. And we created a CISO Congress within FSISAC to compare notes on topics just like this. So when I thought of the idea of having an independent speaker join in on these two-hour education sessions that I was mentioning, the idea of using a peer CISO from that group that we had created at FSISAC popped up and was very well received. So while previously having an independent voice in a board education session may have come from a cybersecurity vendor or law enforcement, or for example, someone from the intelligence community, now I would have a peer CISO come and speak for 30 to 60 minutes. And the idea in general mirrored the trend that we're seeing in boardrooms today. So let's pivot from talking about the threat and how concerned everyone should be to talking about what we can do about it and what's working. And that's exactly what we're seeing in concerns across boardrooms today. The threat message has been delivered, mission accomplished when it comes to getting board attention, but now everyone wants to know how to actually oversee cyber and what's expected of them. So as an experienced cybersecurity executive, you're right to perceive that that means opportunity for you. But there is a lot more to it than that. And what makes a good CISO or CIO for that matter is not necessarily going to make a good board director. And on that note, let's talk about what does make a good board director. The profile of a traditional independent board director is a business leader first, and a business leader that's experienced and often conquered many of the same challenges that the company is facing today. 
So in many ways, the board is an advisory resource for the CEO. Now, separately, board directors are often selected for their understanding of the customer, and especially in B2B institutional business models. And then also in highly regulated industries, it's not uncommon to have board representation from someone with a regulator or government background to help tailor interactions with the regulators and predict responses to various strategies. And despite the recent clamoring for cybersecurity expertise in the boardroom, everything I just described isn't changing anytime soon. Board seats will continue to be occupied by business leaders first and subject matter specialists second. Now, when it comes to the idea of subject matter specialization within a board, the most common example has been and will continue to be financial expertise, and particularly in the audit committee. While in those cases, former CFOs are most likely to get the nod, their backgrounds are still going to fit that broader business remit that I outlined. So who's going to have more profit and loss management experience than a CFO? And if you tune into earnings calls, while ostensibly they're about exactly that, earnings and financial statements, you're going to find that the majority of the call is going to get into business strategy and particular incidents and reactions and how the company is positioning itself. But you won't hear the CFO just completely handed over after reading off the financial statements. Oftentimes, it's the CFO who's going to lead a lot of that discussion into strategy. So put another way, while financial expertise is but one specific function of the board, the directors selected to fulfill that are going to be perfectly suited for broader discussions and decision-making across all of the business strategy as well. And that's the pattern you're going to see in general. Independent directors are going to be business leaders and builders first and specialists second. So you can see where I'm going with this and the challenges that someone like a chief information security officer is going to encounter when pursuing a board seat. So let's cut to the chase. If you have one takeaway from this podcast episode, let it be that if you want to pursue board work after retirement, you need to focus on your business acumen and track record first and your cyber credentials second. And that means not only emphasizing those experiences when you're ready to take that leap and prepare a board profile, but more importantly, building those experiences long before while you're still in your seat. So with that in mind, let's be specific. How do you get a board seat? Well, the quick answer is word of mouth. But before I talk about how you can influence that process, let's talk a little bit about recruiters. So when it comes to recruiters, certainly get on the Rolodex of all the big board recruiting firms. And the top firms running CISO recruiting that you may have spoken with and be familiar with already almost always coincide with the top board recruiting firms as well. But there's different individuals involved in those firms many times. So by all means, leverage your existing relationships, but don't be satisfied telling your CISO recruiter that you're looking for a board seat. You want to find a different team and person at your recruiting firm who specializes in board positions. Go to their website, go through the rosters there, find people who are, are really tasked with attending to board positions in the region that you're looking for. And this isn't always super obvious because some firms can be a bit territorial and that CISO recruiter you've been talking to might think that they're going to hold on to your CV until they hear about the next board position themselves while a colleague specializing in board recruiting is where you really need to be. So do a bit of research yourself to make sure you're getting to the right teams at those recruiters. Separately, late stage venture capital and private equity firms often establish specialized recruiting arms as a value add to their portfolio companies. And by late stage, I mean investors that are associated with companies whose next step or ultimate exit will be likely to be an IPO. So these groups can help firms staff tactical needs from finance and sales to operational roles. And the ones who work with these later stage firms 
are also going to help out with board recruiting many times. In those cases, the firms can even stick around a while after the IPO and continue to help with challenges like board recruiting while they still have skin in the game. So get on the radar with those and refresh it often. And in future episodes, as we talk about angel investing and even advisory work, we're going to talk more about those types of entities and how to get on their radar. Now, separately, you should also think about director networks. So there are several of them now, such as the NACD, the National Association of Corporate Directors, and then there's others, including the Digital Directors Network now, and even the New York Stock Exchange has a board advisory council. So I'll quickly admit that I haven't heard strong anecdotal evidence of these delivering a lot of board positions today, but when you're only looking for one, it's a no-brainer to put yourself out there, and that may change over time. And finally, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the board advisory teams at the big four consulting firms. So a great way to make contact with those earlier in your career is through the audit or SOX partners on your existing engagements. And they would love the opportunity to broker an introduction to that board advisor group at any time. And in that conversation, you can compare notes on what's resonating for cybersecurity in the boardroom. And that can really pave a way for you to put your profile out there when you are on the market. Out of the way, let's get back to the way that directors really get found. Word of mouth. Time and time again, I've heard from sitting directors, CEOs, and even recruiters themselves that word of mouth is really the way most competitive board positions are going to get filled. And as we walk through the whole array of post-CISO opportunities available to you in this series, you're going to keep hearing about opportunities to meet the right people. So I'll talk in a minute about speaking to your existing current directors and even ones at peer CISO companies, and that's absolutely perfect. And when we dive into investing and advisory work in future episodes, you're going to hear about even more of that and getting close to founders and institutional investors who will all have a role in filling out boards in their current or future roles. But when you're talking to these people, should you lead by asking if they can help you find a board seat? Probably not. You'll note the connection point to each of these people is going to be something specific to their role and not board-centric. When you're talking to your directors, for example, the lion's share of that conversation is going to be based on helping them discharge their duties as a director. And when talking to founders or investors, you're more likely to be helping them position a product or evaluate a target investment. So how do you get on the board radar without being annoying? Well, that's where it helps to have a board profile prepared. So what does a board profile look like? Board profile is going to be your new business card when you're talking to people connected to that world. A single page is fine here, and you don't want to focus on a CV-style deep dive of operational responsibilities, each role and timelines here. You want to focus on the business-building side of your experiences, such as the product and market penetration that you were enabling through your activity, customer and regulator interaction, and how you helped close deals or enter new markets. You want to highlight international expansion and financial metrics. And when it does come to technology, you want to focus more on digital transformation and the business efficiencies that you were able to get delivered thanks to the protections and platforms that you enabled. And when you talk specifically about cybersecurity, lead with the phrase risk management first, because that's really what we do for a living. It's not cybersecurity, it's risk management with an emphasis on cybersecurity. And finally, talk about culture and team building. Technology and cybersecurity sit uniquely at this intersection of all the employees, contractors, and third parties in a company ecosystem. And tech executives have a unique microphone to speak directly to every shareholder. So talk about needs that you identified for cultural transformation and how you built consensus across an enterprise. 
This is a great spot to highlight M&A activity as well, given how security is on the front line of any integration work that often lives or dies by how cultures reach consensus or don't. So now that you have some vision of the things that you want to be able to outline on your board profile one day, let's wind the clock back a bit and let's talk about what you can do now while you're still a CISO to create material for that board profile and make it truthful. So let's organize that first into things that you can do inside your company walls right now, and then into things that you'll be able to do externally inside the company. First of all, review all that talk about a breadth of business experience and broad risk management and start making all of that true. And you can start by making sure that you're at the table in non-cyber executive steer codes or steering committee meetings. And at the same time, you don't want to wear out your welcome. So let's dig into that. Enterprise leadership, and I'm talking about the senior management of the company outside cybersecurity are getting peppered with questions about how everything under the sun takes cyber into account. And so they're going to be quick to agree for you to sit in on a wide range of committees and topics, since just your very presence gives them a positive answer to a lot of those questions. But when you're in there, don't feel pressed to justify your presence with airtime and just weighing in on every topic. It's okay to be a fly on the wall, and especially when you're a new addition to an efficient, well-functioning group. Remember, you're not only helping them answer those external questions positively, but you're also gaining valuable security insights for your team, even when you're just in a read-only mode. And you can be sure that you're going to bring those insights to the table when you're working with your own team in your internal management meetings in cybersecurity and justifying the initiatives that are put on your plate. Second, I can't say enough about just getting an MBA, a master's in business administration. You know, that's something that tech executives debate often, And here it's specifically relevant. If you go through the coursework for an MBA degree, you'll see that it maps very tightly to what's in a lot of the director's consortia and the director training programs I'm going to talk about in a bit. So if you don't like the subjects that are overviewed in an MBA program, and that ranges from financial statements to strategy and difficult decision-making and governance and even operations, then you're probably not going to have a lot of fun as a board director anyway. Whereas on the other hand, if you're the type of person that just lives for that kind of thing, you'll love an MBA program and you'll love being a director as well. So I highly advocate getting an MBA. Next, consider branching into risk management more broadly before you retire. You may have seen a few of us who move from a CIO or a CISO position into a chief risk officer or chief technology risk officer position before they retired and work that for a few years. And when you do that, if you do it legitimately, you're going to take on responsibility for a much broader range of non-cyber topics. We're talking things like geopolitical risk and portfolio risk, exchange rates, workforce, and much more. And when you're a CISO in the weeds every day, that can seem like a poor use of your skills and experience. But when you step back, it might be exactly what you need to gain a broader perspective. And also, if you've been successful as a CISO and added a lot of value to your company, It's no doubt because of your communication style and your ability to look at the big picture and to communicate things in the business terms. And people are going to remember that and not have a hard time envisioning how you can apply that beyond just cybersecurity in the organization. Next, think about ways at your company where you might be able to take responsibility for a profit and loss statement. So if you're lucky enough to have a product somewhere in your business whose core value is tightly coupled with security, like something like digital asset custody, which is coming up in almost every company these days, 
consider taking a line of business leadership position. The marketing spin for your company is solid because what better way to demonstrate the commitment to security than having a cybersecurity expert running it? And it's a lock to bolster your experience in business leadership. Another area to look at within your company is subsidiary boards. A lot of companies are required to have independent boards with independent directors at a subsidiary level. Now, it's usually to comply with some kind of local or regional regulatory requirement. Now, while the requirement is around having independent, in other words, external directors, those boards are going to be rounded out by people from senior management as well. And those are areas where your company might have a little more appetite to get a little bit more creative and allow someone like you as a tech executive to represent them within that board. So explore that, see what's out there, find your existing board directors from senior management and start networking with them and talking about what goes on in there. And when you mention your appetite and your growth plans to get into board work down the road, it's an easy tie-in to say that you'd be interested in at least being an observer there, which is a good way to get your foot in the door. And then if things go well, ultimately actually take one of those seats. Now on a final note about work that you could do within the walls of your company, talk to and network with your directors. And this applies whether we're talking about subsidiary boards or whether we're talking about the parent company board as well. Ask those directors about their path into being a board director, how the board finds new directors these days, and what the NOMGov, and that's the Nomination and Governance Committee, is seeing with regard to future recruiting needs and applicants. Feel free to ask directly for advice in pivoting your resume into board material. You know, you'd be surprised at the reactions and how positive directors will be and how much they totally understand that people have a future beyond the company and will always be working toward it. Don't forget, they just went through the exact same thing. So don't feel terrible about hinting you might have a life after the company. And if it makes you feel better, you can emphasize that you're starting super early and playing the long game. And it makes your departure seem like less of an imminent threat. And it demonstrates that you're a deliberate planner at the same time. So what about things that you could do outside of your company? Well, chances are you've already been asked to sit on some what I'll call fundraiser boards. I'm talking about not-for-profits that may be neighborhood-based or something to do with a kid's school or a charity that you really feel strongly about. These types of positions can absolutely be fulfilling. And it's also a good way to network and meet other people in your community that may be outside of your normal circle and outside of cybersecurity for sure. But I don't think that these do much for you at all when it comes to the actual experience of being in a boardroom. The mission and the drive and the responsibility and accountability that's placed on all the individuals is at an entirely different level. And those types of organizations are generally more concerned with soliciting fundraising efforts directly from the members in the room. And you'll notice that because there's generally not a cap on the number of people and they'll bring everybody that they can get. So I wouldn't consider those directly additive towards an external board seat. But it doesn't rule out all not-for-profits. So there's a lot of big industry consortia with legitimate P&L, growth goals, challenges, cultural challenges, like information sharing and analysis centers, for example, that may be the perfect spot for you to balance what you can do within the guardrails of your company, which may mean not-for-profit, and actually getting relevant tactical boardroom experience. Think about what sector you're in and any kind of meeting places that you have to share information with your peers and competitors in a trusted format. And if those are large enough and they actually have a board of directors, start exploring how that's structured, how they're recruited, what kind of activity goes on in those boardrooms. And if you decide to get involved with one of those and join the board, don't expect it to be perfect when you first join and certainly evaluate the bylaws and how it's structured 
And if it has the right remit and the right gravitas and the right type of members, consider taking the reins a bit yourself on the actual governance of that board and helping pitch in and refine those bylaws. That's something that's usually welcome. There's usually not a lot of resource being given to that and a not-for-profit. And what you can do is try to migrate and evolve those standards into a mirror of public company board rules. And a lot of that is very relevant, and there's a lot of material out there that you can use on the internet about how public company boards are structured. And you can start with public company proxy statements. We're going to start talking about it a little bit. But you can also actually talk to groups like the National Association of Corporate Directors or the Digital Directors Network, and you can get material that describes really simple, straightforward how-tos on things like establishing a nomination and governance committee or whether or not you need a risk committee, that sort of thing. And I recommend, even if it's a bit of a stretch, to change those industry consortia boards into that format wherever you get a chance, because not only will it help you, but all of the directors are likely aspiring to public company positions at some point, and they would love the ability to work through that and get used to that type of cadence and format. So speaking of those director networks like um, NACD and Digital Directors Network, that's another great area outside your company where I highly recommend you get involved. And in particular, you can retrieve training from them, paid training. So if you're a CIO or a CISO or a CTO, chances are you're not doing a whole lot of in-the-classroom type week-long training the way a lot of your team hopefully is. And you may not have for years. I know in my case, I always felt like I had so much of that covered just through my network and through the conferences and events and even the ad hoc meetings that we would set up and just third-party risk management and people asking questions and asking for phone calls, whether they were customers or whether they were vendors of ours, and not to mention all the regulatory interaction. I felt like that ticked all of the boxes that I needed for seeing what's going on in the world, which is one of the drivers that I had for sending staff to these types of events. So I didn't pursue classroom-style education in any particular subject matter expertise for much of that career. And at the end, I finally did go through the NACD Accelerate program in particular. And when I finally did, I felt a little bit selfish, like it might really be more about me and preparing me to have opportunities after I leave the company. But in hindsight, I wish I had done that very early in my career. And I highly recommend any of you in particular who are dealing with your own board right now, go through one of those programs. There's nothing that's more valuable to help you understand the perspective of the director. And it will also help prepare you for how they're chosen, how they're oriented, which means what they went through when they first came on. And that might also help you decide the type of role you'd like to pursue and what would be appropriate or customary or not when it comes to things like reaching out to company management or performing site visits or reviewing additional documentation. And so it's just going to work in both directions. It's going to not only enable you to see what you could do and how you'd begin if you were a director, but it's also going to let you know what the existing directors all went through. So you can have that in mind when you're speaking with them and picking materials and the amount of time that you want to go through in actual board meetings today. Now, lastly, when it comes to the external angle, consider being a speaker for what I'll call commercial partner boards. So it could be your customers or your peers or even your vendors. They're all going to love the idea of having someone that's an expert in cybersecurity speak to their board. It's something they're probably actively pursuing already. If you volunteer your time to go out and speak to groups like that, there's a tremendous amount of value. 
Now, first of all, you get to rehearse your board pitch a little bit. And I'm talking about how you engage your existing board in your capacity as a chief information security officer. And it's really disarming to know that you're talking to a board that's not your own. It gives you a lot more latitude and you can be a lot more relaxed. So you can kind of try out material, so to speak. And then secondly, you're going to have more exposure to seeing boardroom dynamics. You know, so certainly pay attention to the individuals have researched in advance who they are, what their backgrounds are, who's representing the company versus an independent director, and pay attention to those interactions and pay attention to the questions that everyone across the board, so to speak, has about cybersecurity. That's going to prep you in general. And then it's going to get you and your name out there in front of all of these individuals who are clearly in the middle of board recruiting. And it's going to make you a known entity when you enter the market. So in summary, go back to the board profile advice and start making it true today. Build out your board profile with the emphases that I mentioned. Business experience, P&L, strategy, risk management, M&A, international work, and so on. And anytime you get to a spot where you feel like you just don't have the material, make a note of it. And when you're done, look at all those notes and establish a timeline to get there. You know, a lot of you likely set up a 30, 60, or 90-day plan when you joined as a CISO. And it's time to dust that process off. But this time, use it to round out your board skills. And you put it all together and you'll be ready when it's time. And who knows, between the way that the market is heading and your focused drive on rounding yourself out and making the right connections, maybe a board offer will be exactly what it is that catapults you into life after CISO. Well, that does it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the content and are looking forward to the next one. Thanks for tuning in and certainly share your feedback and ideas for future episodes.